Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday Celebration from the Center for Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. you to come into this sacred space with me as we enter into a direct experience of the real, that which is always already there waiting for our attention. Dr. Ernest Holmes says, the thing you're looking for, you're looking with, and you're looking at. It's all the one. And so could we dare to turn within and discover that thing that we're looking for is right there within us. And when we find it within us, we begin to see it mirrored back in everything around us, in the oneness of being. And whether you're 75 or seven years old, it's the same invitation. We're always entering into the moment and asking that simple question, who am I being? Am I the one that's always searching out there for my good? Or am I the one that stops long enough to turn within and realize that I've already been given the very thing that I'm seeking? The peace that I long for is not out there in the world. The peace that I ache for is right there, at the core of my being. The love that I seem to require, which I think is transmitted from outside, is really a love that awakens within. And when that love begins to flower within, it sees itself mirrored in every little thing. My Sunday practice is to avoid the squirrels when they run across the road in front of my car with a little nut in their mouth. And if I'm vigilant enough and I drive mindfully enough, I save many a little squirrel's life. And so those little things are sacred to me. And this month I'm going to explore the idea of the endless practice of life, that it never ends. And the idea is we are becoming who we were born to be. Being, becoming. Becoming the jubilant and beholden soul that we already always are. And sometimes we forget it when we get trapped in the idea that we've created around the me person. So when the mask falls away and the me goes through a transformation, well then who is emerging at the soul level on your journey to nowhere, on your journey to now here? So I give myself the invitation on my birthday yesterday. I'm one day old now in this new phase of life. Could I mm, set my intention to start over again in a mindful, conscious way with an intention to wake up from the illusion that I might have been holding on to and really dive into the reality of being? that we're all here by divine appointment. And by right of consciousness, we've attracted this community to us. 
And then I hear Dr. Ernest Holmes who says, divine love brings together and maintains together in harmony and balance those who belong together. I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. I don't manipulate the world. I just open to this divine love that's always there waiting for my attention, which is the most valuable thing we possess. And then I reaffirm my commitment, which comes from the Latin word comitare, which means to circle around. I make this commitment to this love that knows no other. I make a commitment to a peace that passes all understanding. And even when I don't understand this crazy world of ours, I can still take refuge in a peace that does. And so this is the intention for this new phase of life, the 76th year that I'm launching into. And I'm singing that song, the best is yet to come and babe, won't it be fine? So I've set an intention to open to the good, the God, the best that's yet to come. And not projecting my good into the future, but staying in that ever-ready place of, yes, this too is good. This too is for me. And everything that emerges now is embraced as a part of the dance of the one. Boy, life becomes pretty damn sweet when everyone is welcome. All those shadow parts of ourselves are not excluded or judged anymore, but we invite him to sit down at the table. And when my frightened little boy shows up, and he does come up, when my sad little boy, I got my hair cut this week, and I looked in the mirror and saw my twin looking back at me, and I'm sitting there with tears coming down my face, and the hairstylist thought she'd done something wrong. And I said, I'm just experiencing my twin looking at me, and she's, she's so intimate. And then I realized I'm closer to her in death than I was in life. She's with me every single day now. Whereas before, we'd have a casual phone call hither and yon, and it was usually the pain body that would come to process all the stuff around the family dynamic. Well, guess what? Now there's no more story. There's no more somebody done somebody wrong. There's just that smile, that love, that nurturing, that sweetness that was always there that I'd forgotten. And so when Lindsay came into that center years and years ago in Jody Rutenberg's little heart, I realized if I could be there for Lindsay, and I would have conversations at her grave on my bicycle because somehow or another Joji, Jody brought, Jojo brought her into my life. And uh, I was sharing with my prayer partner this morning, when you become a new minister, and I was licensed in 1988, came here in 89, the first thing it says, a minister is first and foremost a student of truth. And then on the list of 10 things, the last one it said, and hopefully a minister will arrive at a place where they realize there is no death. Whoa, I think I've checked them all off, Sylvia, because I do know that there is no death. All that dies is the form, but spirit is deathless and eternal. So could we stretch our consciousness enough to embrace this bigger reality that is not bound by our history or our history. I was listening to a Gangaji satsang and this woman asked her in satsang, Gangaji, I'm so worried about not having the career that my family wants me to have and have the money so that I can have the future that I want to have. And she says, my darling, she says, you're afraid for your future, but you're really trapped in the toxic messages from your past. She says, your parents raised you to think that you weren't enough unless you had this title, this amount of money. And she says, I want you to get rid of the gifts that they gave you and find a trust within you because I guarantee you're probably not starving, are you? And she said, no, no. 
you're doing quite well. So you don't need to project into the future about worrying about money. You can establish yourself in a flow of trust, in a flow of being here now and opening to the abundance of the moment. And in a holy instant, I watched someone who was fretting about a future that they were making themselves sick over to letting go of the programming of their childhood and saying, you know, I am loved, I am whole, I am taken care of. And so I watched in just a holy instant, someone shift the way they were looking at their story and the change was then possible. So could we know that this life, wherever we are, whether a young person worried about our future, whether we're a 75 year old thinking about mm, the present moment, I'm not worried about the future. The future will emerge out of my quality involvement in the moment. And that's as simple and as profound as it gets. Because all we have is the moment. Good to see you again. Come on in. So we get to be in this sacred moment and say, who am I in this moment? Am I the grateful one? Or am I the messed up one? And they're both fine, because I've been both. And then we can laugh at the moment and have a sense of humor. I pulled out my wonderful book called The Endless Practice by Mark Nepo. And the subtitle of the book is Becoming Who You Were Born to Be. Who You Were Born to Be. We gave an honorary doctorate in 1985 to Bernie Siegel, who had written a book called Love, Medicine, and Miracles. And I remember he spoke to the Atlanta community. And he said, I live by one simple principle. And that is, be who you is and not who you ain't. Because if you ain't who you is, well, then you is who you ain't. And if you is who you ain't, well, guess what? Then you ain't who you is. And as bad as that English was, I memorized it. Because we all have this illusion of who we think we are when who we were really born to be is the child of God that we've always been. And at age 75, this little boy that wakes up to me, he was the magical one. He was the one that was merging with the flowers in the forest. He was the one that was talking to the birds. He was the one that had a butterfly collection. He wouldn't kill the butterflies, he would draw them. And I would say, would you draw a butterfly in my book? Would you draw a butterfly in my book? I had this beautiful book of butterflies and my twin sister, so that I wouldn't get attached to it, she destroyed the book. And then I got angry at my twin sister and I realized it's all in divine order. She saw how I was becoming attached to my little book of butterflies. And now I can look back on that and smile. I don't know why. I lost my butterfly book. But here's what, here's what this lovely man, uh, Mark Nepo, talks about. I think this is where, oh. Oh, it's this one. I have all these little markers. My Zen calendar yesterday, it says, the greatest thing in the world is to know how to be who you are. This is Michelle de Mont Montagna. The greatest thing in the world is to know how to be who you are. Well, nobody teaches how to be who you are. They teach you how to be how they want you to be, don't they? Well, here's how he says that. He says, we're always beginning, Mark Nepo. There is nothing more difficult or magnificent in life than becoming intimate with the mystery of your own unfoldment. The mystery of the life that you've been given. Not as a program to be designed by some well-meaning adult, but a discovery that emerges from that jubilant and beholden soul of your little girl, Miss Ashley. I loved your little girl in there. We were both in Omaha. I should have found you back then. Anyway, he says, um, learning, leaning into life and engaging our full humanity is the only way to be illumined by the aliveness at the center of everything. You lean into your life wherever you are and be surprised that it's filled with aliveness. Everything 
is filled with aliveness. Wow, he's taking you there, isn't he? In a very real sense, he says, we are always beginning. And that's the title of today's talk. We are always beginning. The Bible says, this is the moment the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. All we have is this moment in this lifetime where the presence can shine through. Are we, are we paying attention in the moment? Mm. We're always beginning because beginning without judgment or without conclusion is the way that we then can drink from the mystery of the moment. We don't go into it with the conclusion, well, this isn't going to work out, or the judgment, the past was so bad that we can't redeem it. No, no, no. The past ended last night, and we step into this present moment with curiosity, with enthusiasm, with a sense of surrender and trust, and beginning is the way we are reanimated. What if we have an old relationship that has gone wrong and we decide that it ended last night and we could have a whole new relationship with someone that we might have held out of our hearts because of a narrative of something in the past? Could we let that all go? Because that's just something on the movie screen of life. And when you turn off the screen of life from the past, well, then you're right here in the moment. And I choose to forgive 70 times 7. I choose to love unconditionally. I choose to even embrace the enemy, the one that I projected out there. And guess what happens? Then I go through the transformation. And when I go through the transformation, the world can transform. Be ye renewed, it says in the Bible, by the renewing of your mind, by seeing things in a different way. This wasn't a problem to be fixed. This was an opportunity for something greater to be transformed and emerge. You see it differently. So Mark Niebuhr says this, we are here to find out our authentic self. In fact, Gary Zukoff wrote a book called The Seed of the Soul, and it was all about moving from five sensory perception to an authentic perception. Now, what does authentic mean? To live your authentic self, who you were born to be. Here's how he, he describes it. Authentic means bearing the mark of our hands. H-A-N-D-S. And he goes on to say, being authentic, being real and genuine means touching and being touched. It means holding and being held. You know, I love it when little Roop came to town, my little grandson from India, and he kept running up to me. He's 32. David, can I hug you? David, can I hug you? David, can I hug you? I mean, he just wanted to be hugged and hugged and hugged. He wanted, kept touching me, wanted to be touched. He was finding his authentic self through the love of his grandpa. He calls me his grandpa. The living work of hands is what... I'm going to give a little cheat here. Sometimes the print gets tiny and I have to squint it. Oh, well, look at that. They're all big and beautiful. The living work of hands is where being and becoming meet. Being and becoming meet. It's where the inner and the outer, like our two hands, part the veil of circumstances to reveal a oneness that was already there. Wow. Through the life of authenticity, we trip into our hearts. Don't you love the way he writes? This is a poet. Through the authenticity, we trip into our hearts the heart of things, the heart of experiences, the interconnectedness of things, again and again and again. We just fall into life. We trip into it. We trip into the heart. Yesterday was my birthday, and I got all these lovely little phone calls. Karen Drecker called me singing in the car how much she loves me. She wants to see my face. I got a call from Maureen Hoyt, who's tried to navigate the freeways in Los Angeles. And as she's singing happy birthday, she says, oh, my God, I went off on the wrong exit. And I decided I better call her. Say, Maureen, you don't need to be multitasking at age 80 on the highway, going to a memorial service for another colleague of mine who had a brain tumor. So it's like it all gets fenced. Happy birthday to me. 
It's one big dance. She says, um, often our rigidity and our fluidity affect how close we stay on our path of aliveness. The more rigid we are, the more isolated we come, and the more rigid we are, the more likely we are to break. The more rigid we are, the more things have to conform to the shape that we want them. But he says, now, Mark Nepo, is the time, instead of being rigid, to start being gentle with yourself. And then I hear Karen Drucker. I will be gentle with myself. I will be gentle with my heart. And I'll hold myself like a newborn baby child. And then she says, and I'll only go as fast as the slowest part of me feels safe to go. And Karen said, you know, her music ministry is boiled down to that one song. Could we learn to be gentle? So Mark Nepo saying, instead of being hard on yourself, learn to be gentle as you go through this. And she says, the gentle we are, the more fluid and flexible our life becomes. Steadfastness and stubbornness are not going to cut it anymore. It's time to find the gentleness that's inherent within you. So she goes on to say, Emerson persistently tried to convince Walt Whitman not to publish his Children of Adam poems, which revealed his homosexuality. He couldn't hide who he was anymore. So he was coming out of the closet. I don't know where that came from, but I guess that's a birthday gift. Anyway, receiving depends to receive the grace of God depends on our gentleness, which relaxes our boundaries. It lets us interact with what comes our way, and it lets us lend some of our shape to what's before us. Lending our shape in this way allows for a momentary joining through which we can feel an aliveness that flows between all parts of life. When we can be gentle with ourselves on this journey, my beloved Bob is turning 65 this day, and he shared with me his 64th year was a challenging year. But now he's moving into a gentle year, the year of 65, where mm, the best is yet to come, and babe, you get to retire, I'm just saying, <laughs> if you want to. My husband retired at age 60. My beloved Pam Hurdy, who's doing a workshop next Saturday at 10, she'd recently retired. She said, I've never felt so free. A beloved Bob over there has recently retired from the Navy, and he's finding it challenging to step into this freedom that all of a sudden life has given him. And I remember when I graduated from ministerial school, and I dropped out of um, graduate school because I was going to become a school teacher, which is what Trey wanted me to be. And I went one year to student teaching. I came back from that day of student teaching. He came, he was a teacher, but then he came home from school. He said, how was your first day? I said, well, I quit. You quit? He says, that was our future that we had planned. And I says, well, this voice within me said, this will kill you if you stay here. So I just decided I'm not going to do it. Well, I'm just going to say one thing to you. And this is for you, Bob. You've created a void in your life. So be very careful what you fill that void with. And he says, but whatever you do, don't become a damn minister. Well, I've never considered that thought. So you have a way of seeding a thought in mind, and then they have a way of unfolding. Be gentle with yourself. When, when rigid, we close and we bounce off each other. But when we are gentle, we open, and we are able to exchange energy and the life force. So his whole premise is to learn to be gentle with ourselves in this endless practice of becoming who you are. So I hope when you come here to the Center for Spiritual Living, you'll be gentle with yourself as you die before you die, as you die to the old self that was all caught up in me and identity, and then something awakens within that doesn't die, that's playful, that's free, and 
And could we be gentle as we go through this metamorphosis, as we go through this transformation? My prayer partner is speaking in a church in Canada this Sunday about the God who is not God and how we have that old Jungian patriarchal God, Jehovah, who will destroy the world and then give us a, a rainbow. He says, could we have a God that embraces the inner feminine, the Sophia? I've told Jan about this, the feminine aspect of God. She has the, the love. So this masculine Jehovah, who's kind of transactional, you do what I tell you and you survive and go to heaven. If you don't do what I tell you, down you go. No, we get a new God, the God that isn't the old God, a God that has love at the core of her being, its being, that isn't it. And then you can hear quantum mechanics that it's all alive with presence. So he's trying to get us to this deeper realization of who we are. And then we get to, to explore that, not in a concretized sort of way, but in a playful way. Last week I shared with you that I've had so many, just been blessed with so many wonderful teachers. And when I studied with Thich Nhat Hanh, it was right after my mother's death. She died the first week in September. My teacher Kennedy died the second week in September. This was 2000. The third week in September, I'm sitting in the front row in Scutney, Vermont, in a large tent on a mountain, and behind me there's this calligraphy that he had penned called I Have Arrived, I Am Home. I ended up leaving that, purchasing the little calligraphy for the center here. And, um, and this living saint at the time, he sat there in his little brown robe, so humble as a monk, and he, his hand just kept going back and forth. And he said, all of life is a transmission. Now this is transformation of what happened. He says there is a transmitter, there is a receiver, and there is that which is transmitted. He just kept doing this. And he said, your parents do nothing less than transmit themselves to you. They live in you. And of course, I'm flooded with my mother. Your teachers do nothing less than transmit themselves to you. They live in you. And then tears are coming down. And when I left that tent, I saw my mother in every flower. I saw him, and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going crazy. But what I realized is that he gave me this beautiful gift of awareness that they live in us. Emerson lives in me. There's so many. And one of them that lives in me who's still alive is Jeff Foster. And what's so ironic, and there are no accidents in the universe, when I had my heart attack on March 12th, Trey and I were heading out on a vacation that Monday morning, I'd done church on Sunday. Usually we try to get five days in and then I get back so I can do church on Sunday. So with the car was packed, we were going down to the beach. Um, I went downstairs to get the last, and then I started having a pain in my chest and, and I started, oh, I can work through this. And I started stretching and doing my yoga and I called Gigi, I said, I've got this pain. And, then, and she said, I think you're having a heart attack. Well, then I called a doctor and she said, oh, just have a nice bowel movement, you'll be fine. Well, I'd already had the bowel movement and I was feeling the pain, and so I went upstairs. It was six in the morning, and I said, "Honey, I think I I might be having a heart attack." And Trey said, "Well, you're not going to ruin another vacation for us, are you?" <laughs> well, then I fell on the bed on top of Baby Speck, and I'm thinking, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die in the arms of love. And then this little voice says, "Why don't you just go get it checked out? It could be nothing." So I said, "Honey, let's just stop by the emergency room. You can take the dogs for a walk. I'll go in. They'll tell me I'm fine, and we'll go on." I didn't want to have the heart attack somewhere down around Gadsden, Alabama, or wherever the heck we would go south. So he went out walking the dogs. I went up to the gate and where you fill in, and you fill out all these forms, and I passed out filling out the forms. So the next thing I know, I'm being thrown on a gurney. I wasn't really out. I was kind of there. but And they're pulling me down this thing, and 
they're yelling, where is your husband? And I'm saying, he's walking the dogs. And the next thing I know, they're tearing off my clothes and the mind, oh, if I'm going to die, I'm going to be naked. But they left my socks on and I'd wear the Susan Jackson socks that had butterflies all over them. What's with them socks? They said, I said, they're my lucky socks. And they said, well, this is a lucky day for you because you're having a heart attack. And I went, oh. And so then Trey's out walking the dogs and the phone rings. And he says, who are you? He said, well, where are you? He said, I'm walking the dogs. Who are you? And they said, your husband's having a procedure. You need to get back here. Well, I ended up surviving. And the beautiful thing about that experience was, no accidents, that it, it awoke the little boy in me. So when I went to Colorado, I went to study with this guy. And I'd already arranged this trip for six months. So when I survived the heart attack, I said to the doctor, would it be okay if I go next week and see Jeff Foster? And I said, he said, as long as you don't do anything hard. And so he, with my nitroglycerin in my hands, I went down to Colorado. And I remember I had a roommate. And I said, well, just want you to know, since you're my roommate, if I should have a procedure, the nitroglycerin is sitting on the bureau. And this person said, I think I need a new roommate. <laughs> they didn't sign up for this. <laughs> but in the meantime, I did survive that. And I met this beautiful man, Jeff Foster, who nearly passed away last year. He had Lyme disease and it went into his brain. And you know, you can see him on YouTube. He says, that which was one of the most tenuous times of my life was one of the most sacred because it took him to this realization of what doesn't die. And so he wrote this book, Falling in Love with Wherever You Are. If you have Lyme disease, if you've had a heart attack, if your lover's walked out on you, whatever it is, you fall in love with where you are and then you find the grace. You find the good, the God. It's not about living a panacea life that's all perfect. No, it's about meeting life on life's terms. And so he did this beautiful little poem um, on the back that I wanted to read to you because it kind of was like a, a nice birthday gift. And he lives in the question. So I'm going to invite you to take this poem, and poetry is the language of the soul, and invite this question, not into your mind that wants to give it a quick answer, but invite it into your gentle heart that will give you a guidance, oftentimes with an image. I'd seen familiar faces that day, which is so nice. Anyway, here's what he said. This poem is for no one, no one separate, which means it's for everyone. He asked the question, who has been wearing these shoes? Who has been walking in these footsteps? Who eats the breakfast? Who speaks these words? Who breathes? who moves as I do. And when you live in the question, who has known both the mountains of bliss and the valleys of total disillusionment? Who has journeyed into the abyss and come out unbroken on the other side, Miss Anastasia? Who has suffered both the joys of pain and the pains of ecstasy? Well, I think this is all of us, don't you think? Who has never abandoned me throughout nirvana, throughout samsara? Samsara is that forgetful place. And those unspeakable realms of light, who has never abandoned you? Who has taken your hand, the hand of a child, the unloved one at times, the frightened one, and even the dying one? Who has taken your hand? Who is both your lover and the beloved and the imaginary gulf between them both? You know, when you live in the question, then your mind is 10 times more active. Who has cradled the entire universe in its arms? 
you know, when Gigi stepped over to give me the birthday card and she put me in her arms, I felt like I was being loved by the universe. And then again, I could hand that to all of you when I left my office this day and I walk in and I got a hug from this one and a hug, and it was, I was being hugged by the universe. Who is the, who is closer than the most intimate sensation? That decides an extra question. Who is more intimate? Now, who is closer than the most intimate sensation? Who is closer than the most intimate sensation? Who asks these questions that cannot ever be answered? And who delights in asking them anyway? Isn't it nice to have a question that doesn't need an answer? And you can just stay in it. How then shall we live knowing that we shall die? A beautiful book by Wayne Mueller. How then shall we live knowing that we shall die? Live in the question. Whose music is it that I hear from dawn until dusk? I was telling Bob that I started watching that Netflix series, All the Light That Cannot Be Seen. And it's the story, very disturbing, of Nazi Germany in the 30s. And it's from a little girl's standpoint. And when I watch it, I think of my beloved Gigi who lived through that. And all this darkness. And in the darkness, there was light. And throughout this very disturbing series on Netflix, there is this constant thread of music. And, and um, they even said that they kept this thread. It was that constant thing that's always there. And Trey said, what is that beautiful tune? And I said, I think it's Claire de Lune. And then when Bob came in, I said, would you hum the lyrics of Claire de Lune? And I said, I was right. It was Claire de Lune. I won't ask you to hum it for them, but um, who asks these questions that cannot ever be answered and delights in the asking of them anyway? And whose music is it that I hear from dusk till dawn? It's Claire de Lune. It is you, with a capital Y, who wears those shoes. The you with the big Y, not the you with the widow Y. It is you, with the big Y, who breathes these dying breaths and who is still on planet Earth. It is you that I return to, beloved, with a big you. Why? It is you that I never left. There is this presence that is always already there that will never leave us or forsake us. And sometimes it takes those moments where we get confused and lost to find ourselves. Who is it that will never leave you, sweet Ashley? It's the love that you are. Once in pursuit of you, with a capital Y, I ran from you. I ran from these shoes and from the surfaces of things. I ran from, from all that I judged as mere appearance. I ran from the simple wonder of waking up to the moment. I ran from the morning to, to a, a new day, not knowing what was there and what was to come. But now I run no more. I don't chase after. You know, when you realize we're in a non-dual reality that's always already here, well, then we don't have to chase. We don't have to seek. And when you stop seeking, guess what happens? You end up, it, you're always finding. It's always there. And then you hear the very first logian of Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas that said, in all your seeking, seek until you find. And when you find, you'll be greatly disturbed. And when you're greatly disturbed, you'll be filled with wonder. And when you are filled with wonder, you will have dominion over your world. You're greatly disturbed because it was always there and you were chasing after it out there and it wasn't out there. It was right where you are. And when you are greatly disturbed, you're filled with wonder and filled with awe because, oh my God, the very presence and the power has always already been there, waiting, right at the core of our being. The thing you've been looking for, you've been looking with. But now I run no more, says Jeff Foster. I can no longer seek or escape what I already am. I have been granted and gutted. I have been turned inside out 
and replaced with gratitude and left not knowing why I ever doubted this miracle in the first place. If we're going to give ourselves to this divine presence, my prayer partner and I were talking about Jesus as this glorious example, how he was a Sufi, Jesus was a Sufi, and the first step is the step of fana. You have to die to the false sense of self and be wakened to your true nature. He's saying the same thing. So the death is not a bad thing. Um, how could it be that I ever doubted this miracle in the first place? So what is experiencing this moment, Jeff asks. Who am I and what shall I bring forth if I open to that discovery? So then we get to live in this discovery phase of life. This something is always seeking our attention. This inner child, invite it all in. The wonder child. You know, John Bradshaw wrote a lovely book and at, at age 75, you can look back in your life kind of a telescopic way. And when I was a new minister, someone gave me this book called Homecoming by John Bradshaw. And it was a psychological book, Help Healing Your Past. And he talks about all these aspects of our dysfunctional childhood and we build all these masks to protect ourselves, to control things, oh, to face our fears. And But at the very end of the book, he says, ultimately we need to one arrive at the wonder child, the one that was there all along, the one that was filled with the mystery, that could see God in a flower. As a little boy, I would sit on the golf course and I would hold these flowers and I would tantrically begin to merge with the flowers. I know I sound crazy to you, but now at age 75, I'll pick up a flower and I'll say, do I have the capacity to merge with the flower now, to feel the fragrance? Pam, um, Sharon Ledford did a workshop here at the center. She was an artist. And in that, she said, find a word that is very significant for you, and we're going to create an acronym from that word, and then we're going to do a painting. And you know, I never considered myself a good artist. I could never, like... But I had to heal that part of me that judged that. So the word that really came up for me in meditation, a word that is really dear to your soul, the word that came up for me was the word flower. Because I remember that little boy on that in the golf course merging with these flowers. So I wrote the words F-L-O-W-E-R. She says, now create an acronym from your soul, and we're going to paint that. We're going to write the letters and do a painting. So the F was fragrance. I have a little sign in the garden from Emerson that says, the earth laughs in flowers. Huh. So if Emerson can, can see the earth laughing in a flower, so I wrote flower. Fragrance, and Osho said, fragrance is the highest vibration of love. He says, if, if the bud is sex, the flower is love, but fragrance is compassion. So could we enter into the fragrance of life? So F is for fragrance. The L is laughs. Fragrance laughing. I'm hearing Emerson, the earth laughs in flowers. And then the O is opens. I am opening, that's all we're here to do. I am opening, my heart is ready to receive. Fragrance, laughing, laughing, opens wildly. There is no control in the universe. It is a wild expression of this expression of life. Did anybody ever tell you as a little kid to be wild and free? No, they taught you to be appropriate and mindful and respectful and to control your things. No, my flower is opening wildly. And it's the F-L-O-W-E, effortless revealing. So fragrance laughing opens wildly, effortlessly revealing. Well, that now is a painting that's hanging in my dining room. The only piece of art I ever created. We'll probably sell it at an auction here and it'll go for a million dollars. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But could we ask those little questions to find a, a, a word that speaks to your soul and then create an acronym with it? 
um, when I studied with Jeff Foster, um, they gave us a little word called um, rain. And the word rain means, um, what does it mean? Oh, thank you. Recognize what's arising right now. Accept it. Become intimate with it. And then nurture yourself as you're going through it. So if you're recognizing, that's the acronym for RAID. So you recognize maybe right now I'm going through some sadness because it's my twin's birthday and um, she died right before Christmas last year. So I recognize that there's this grief that comes up in waves for me. Could I allow it and accept it? And I've discovered, you know, when she died on that Sunday last year on Christmas, I, I found out right before I had to go on here. And so I, I went in kind of a shock place. I, I dealt with it. And all of a sudden now after a year, this grief is coming up in sweet waves of letting go and letting God. So recognize, accept, and then become intimate with it. It's not a bad thing. And then nurture yourself in that whole journey. So all because of little Jeff Foster, um, he helped my little boy face that moment in my life that was a threshold for me. Could we meet those thresholds on this endless practice called life? And then life becomes your practice. And it's not something that you do when you go, just go sit in your chair and you do your one hour, half hour, and that's your practice. No, the practice is how you do everything, how you get up in the morning. I got up early this morning, as I always do on Sunday at 5 a.m. I'm downstairs going over some notes. Trey comes downstairs. He's going to make me brunch. And upstairs is the pug lying in the bed, lying in the bed. And all of a sudden you hear his, and so I know that's the call of love. So I go upstairs and I pick him up, put him in my arms, I carry him outside, and we do this little dance together. And I realize that um, in his diminishment, he's taking care of me. It's, it's the sweetest little exchange of energy. He's not this uh, disposable, no longer dog dog. No, he's this sentient being that can't see or hear, but he's filled with this unconditional love. And truly, when I pick him up and he's lost and I put him on my lap, he puts his little paw on my leg. He puts his head down. His little pink tongue, Serena seen it, a little pink tongue sticks out and he closes his one a cataract eye and he's in heaven. And I sit there and Trey says, whenever the dog's howling, he says, pick him up and put him in your lap. I pick him up and put him in my lap. When Jody comes over, put him in her lap. She, he just melts. He came to class the other day and, and he was waddling around and couldn't see. And Rava asked me to pick him up and I said, he's kind of heavy, Rava. And I picked him up and that fragile little old lady just had her arms around that little pug, and they were having um, a tantric experience, heart to heart, you know? And could we open to life? You know, who, who am I? Well, I'm Humphrey. I'm also Bert. Bert haunts me, and so does the baby. And that's good. Um, so I wanted to close with, with another one of my Anamkaras, which is Richard Rohr. And then we'll do a, a lovely little closing meditation. This small little book, just this, are how we can practice on living a better life. And he's so clear and so simple. He starts off by saying, stay awake. If you've wake, awakened to your true nature, stay awake. Don't go back to sleep. Rumi says, don't go back to sleep. Don't go back to sleep. And then he goes on to say, staying awake comes not from our willpower, but from a wholehearted surrendering into this moment. It's always the moment. You only have the moment. Stay awake in the moment, Jody. Look at her bike with that beautiful curly hair.
They tried to straighten her hair too. And they tried to straighten my little curl. Trey came after me with the scissors this morning saying, I'm cut that curl off your face. He said, leave the curl alone. Get your shaky hand away from me. Staying awake comes not from willpower, but from a wholehearted surrender to the moment as it is. And if you can be present, you will experience what most of us mean by God. And you do not even need to call it God. Just by being still, entering in the moment, you can meet God is right there. And it's not the God of your mind, the old God that is not a God. You meet the love that's always waiting for you. Well, there you go. He goes on to say, it is an acceptance of the full reality of what is right here and now. It will be the task of your whole lifetime, Mr. Adam. Your whole lifetime's task is to be fully present in the moment, as the moment is, notice who you are in that moment. Are you going to be in resistance? Are you going to be judging it as not acceptable? Or can you see, ah, this too is here for me. I'm meeting my anxious little self. There you are, my anxious little one. You know, when I had that heart attack, I ran away from those people at that event. My little boy ran to a tree, just like the little kids sitting on the golf carts. I was taking my nurturing from the plants. I didn't need people tapping me and trying to fix me, no. So you cannot get there by any method whatsoever. You can only be here. There is no place to get. Stay awake right here in this sacred moment. The purest form of spirituality is to find God in what is right in front of you. The ability to accept what the French Jesuit and mystic Jean-Pierre de Cousade, 1675, called the sacrament of the present moment the sacrament of the present moment, to stay awake in that present moment and whatever arises. The last little bit over here, he says, whenever your heart space, your mind space, and your body space are all present and accounted for at the same time, you can experience pure presence, a moment of the deepest interconnection with source. It will often be experienced as a quiet leap of joy within the heart, Miss Sylvia experienced as a quiet joy within the heart. And lastly, he says, the supreme work of spirituality, the supreme work of spirituality, not religion, which makes presence possible, is keeping the heart space open, which is the result of conscious love, keeping in the right mind, not the neurotic widow mind that wants to judge and condemn, no, get out of that mind, staying in the right mind, which is the work of contemplation and meditation. The whole contemplative path is meeting life moment by moment and seeing the good, the God in it. That's what it is. That's the right mind. You're not running around. And keeping the body alive with contentment and without attachment to its past woundings. <coughs> little tickle in the throat with that one. <laughs> Don't let your body cling to the past woundings as your reality, he's saying, without attachment to its past woundings, which is often the work of our healing. So many of us need to do our healing work around family issues. And then he says, in, in that state, you are neither resisting anything nor clinging to anything. And in that, you can experience something genuinely new. Those who can keep all three aspects open at the same time will know a presence that they need to know. And people who can be simply present will know that this presence that connects everything to everything is always there. And that's where we take our refuge.
in the presence that's within all and within ourselves. And then we've arrived. We are home. So we do a little ring of the bell, my beloved. Uh, I have arrived. I am home. And the mindfulness bell takes us there. Let's be still. Listen to what can't be said. Discover that still small voice that Eckhart Tolle says does not get louder but gets clearer when we become still. And he wrote a beautiful little book called Stillness Speaks. Mm. And then we smile to this present moment awareness. And we set an intention to stay awake. We set an intention to meet life as life is. We place our attention on that sacred place within. We invite the revelations, the effortless revealing from the knower, from the lover, from the gentle one, from the grateful one, from the innocent one, the child of wonder, and from the elder of the tribe, knowing that the elder of the tribe and the child of wonder are one. So then we begin to experience ourselves in a much grander, larger context, not as the local self, but as the universal self, the one that knows no other, and we begin to play like a child would. Jesus says, be like a child if you would enter this consciousness of wonder, of wholeness. And then in that abject surrender and trust, something, something flowers within. You notice how a flower opens. It reaches toward the light. The light on the outside meets the light on the inside. Something seems to happen. It's called the alchemy of light. Ah, the alchemy of light. And then you hear the Quran. Nur Allah Nur, light upon light. And you hear Jesus say, do not put your light under a bushel. And then you hear the Buddha say, be alive unto the world. And so by going within to this true nature, we find this illumined presence waiting patiently for us to put our attention on that, to make a commitment to stay awake in that light, in that love, in that gratitude, in that wonder. And then the practice is an endless practice, moment to moment. It begins right now. We are always beginning. So this is the moment we get to rejoice in together. Home at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. With playfulness, we come together by saying, and so it is.
to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org. You are love and you are light. Namaste. Thank you.